Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. So thank you for joining us. We understand you're a fan of the podcast and we're a big fan of you. So it's great that we finally get to meet face to face. We just came together. Yeah. And um, so we've started this new series called The Injector Diaries and it's basically talking to injectors all around the world around their practice, what motivated them to get into injecting, um, you know, little nuances around your part of the world and what you do and how it's different from, I guess, potentially what we see here in Australia. So it's nice to have someone who is a plastic surgeon like yourself who also injects. It's quite unusual to have people who do both of those things. Normally someone that takes such a large large time to study surgery to go and do non-surgical stuff as well. So it's really interesting to have that kind of discussion with you. Yeah, 100%. And I'd love to know, why do you like the podcast? What are we doing right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was, uh, I really like that you're like connecting people from different areas, dermatologists, plastic surgeons, injectors, nurses, and uh, sharing like everyone's experience or uh, also like guiding career tips. And I like the surgical as uh, so on the non-surgical part and it's really unique you have like a lot of different podcasts but most time it's like someone is telling stories about himself and but there are no like uh, advisable tips for actually I'm like a young <laughs> plastic surgeon <laughs> or uh, don't have like 30 years of experience in all uh, that stuff so it's really good to hear from people who are in this business like for 10-15 years or those media created stars and uh, also like uh, non-known injectors and what uh, so I really really liked uh, uh, Mauricio the friend of mine he actually introduced me like to your podcast and he said ah oh, you have to tape in because and um, I actually Really like it. So, oh, um, actually, Mauricio was, was uh, the winner of the Julie Horn competition. I oh, think. There you yes. go. There yes. you go. Really and actually, good. weirdly, yes. th- I promise uh, the listeners this wasn't planned. Actually, you teach at the same training school that Julie's at in Switzerland. Yes. Yes, Julie is regularly, uh, she's a co-owner of the Swiss Aesthetic Institute here. It's based like in our clinic. Uh, my office is like opposite to uh, to the Swiss Aesthetic Institute. So we do like trainings also in the Swiss Aesthetic Institute. And Julie is coming like um, a couple times of years to do her master classes or patient injections for lips. Um, yeah, that was like... Um, a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't planned. Career development. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to introduce the listeners to you and have an understanding of your background and, and how you sort of came to be because, I don't know, you look very young to be a plastic surgeon and I'm not sure whether that's because genetics, whether you have a really good um, a really good injector that takes care of all of your needs um, or your Doogie, Doogie Hauser, you managed to do medicine when you were 10 years old. But so tell us all about yourself so our listeners know who you are and, and what you do and how you got to where you are. 
Uh, yeah, my name is Rosal Lucrina. I'm like a board-certified plastic surgeon, uh, currently working in Switzerland. Uh, I started like uh, my med school. I did it in uh, Austria because uh, my roots are Croatian-Austrian. Um, so uh, I did like my med school at the Medical University in Graz. And uh, then um, I started my uh, surgical training at the University Hospital in Heidelberg in a common trunk in general surgery because you have to do like the general surgery things to become a plastic surgeon. But I always wanted to become a plastic surgeon. It started like with the age of five. I uh, was hit by a stone by a young uh, guy. <laughs> he oh, was wow. like five and I was five. And um we went like to the hospital with my dad and then uh, he was uh, a doctor as well. And But uh, he said then, oh, please, can you bring like a plastic surgeon? Because she's like a, a <laughs> like a young girl and uh, needs to have a good scar and not like the trauma surgeons, you know, how they <laughs> like fix the things. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wondering uh, what's so special on this person that he has to come to do this car. Why can't like all the other doctors do it? So uh, and this was like uh, the interest that started for plastic surgery. Uh, but um, you have to do like uh, common training in uh, general surgery, uh, common trunk. So I started at the university hospital in Heidelberg. And after three years, uh, I went for plastic surgery residency training uh, in uh, Hannover Medical School. It's really well-known plastic surgery department in uh, Europe. Uh, so I started there, like this uh, training in plastic surgery. And uh, between that, I was in the U.S. in Pittsburgh at Dr. Hurwitz and in Los Angeles uh, for doing like some fellowships. Uh, the plan was actually before coming to Switzerland to go to Australia for a breast fellowship at Gold Coast. But mm. due to COVID, it was like, uh. Uh, yeah, it was not possible to enter your country. <laughs> so. Uh, so I started like uh, working here at SkinMed instead of that. Um, and um, the way how I yeah, became an uh, injector was, uh, was like a coincidence, actually, because uh, at the university hospital, you do like all the big reconstructive cases. You're a resident and you don't have a really... Um, touch with uh, botulinum toxin or fillers and anything. Uh, but we saw a lot of patients. I was like with my uh, boss uh, who was leading the department uh, in the private uh, practice uh, once in a week just to assist him. And uh, what we uh, saw was like a lot of complications on fillers and on botulinum toxin and on uh, threads. And uh, we have like to manage uh, them. And he always said, oh, Dr. Lukitina, you will learn aesthetics from the back because we are treating like the complications. We are not like injecting a lot ourselves, but uh, <laughs> uh, you see what can happen. So I said to him, but would it be possible just to see how they come to this <laughs> result uh, to have like the complete uh, thing about the plastic surgeon? We are also aesthetic surgeons. So uh, uh, 
can I may have like some training to, to see uh, what these people who inject do or how they are trained and anything? And he said, oh, if you want to do it, you can do it in your free time. And then he said, ah, <laughs> oh, here is from the German uh, Botulinum Toxin Society, a flyer. They are having an upcoming uh, course uh, in and a conference in Frankfurt. And this was like in 2015 and no one of our residents, even not me, I didn't understand what's the difference between botulinum toxin and fillers and uh, where to use what of them and nothing. I was like completely <laughs> didn't know anything about it. So, so I went there and I was really like, um, there were all the people who were already uh, famous injectors in Germany and the companies. And I really didn't know that there are so many different fillers, that there are different toxins. <laughs> What's the difference between all this stuff? It was a really like virgin in injector. I didn't know. And I was like there and talked to the people and um, talked to the pharma industry. And it was really difficult. Uh, when you come from a university hospital to get the attention of the pharma industry or from the people to get the staff and to get the trainings, it was really not, uh, uh, there was no plan or nothing. If you want to become a plastic surgeon, you knew you have to apply for a residency thing and to go your steps. But for this kind of uh, small part that also uh, is an important part of plastic surgery, there was no, uh, no one who took you by hand because all my people around me were reconstructive plastic surgeons. After their career, they settled into a private practice but there was no one who told you, ah, oh, go there and do it like that to become uh, like a good injector. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as you know, we've had Hervé Raspaldo uh, on the podcast and he's also practicing in Switzerland. And we wondered whether it was a common thing that plastic surgeons also injected. But it sounds like you're saying a very similar thing to here where many you know, plastic surgeons sort of look at non-surgical as a bit silly, a bit beneath them. So I'm glad that you yeah. didn't have that attitude. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what, what were your preconceptions when you first started? Did you think immediately that it was something that you were going to enjoy or, or did it take time for you to to get that basic skill and think you could add, add it to your practice actually uh, it took time the first step was like that i asked uh, several pharma companies if they could like do a hands-on introduction in our clinic i uh, asked my boss and he said okay if you're organizing that on a saturday and your guys want to join just do it yeah. uh, uh so I asked like uh, several pharma was ready like to uh, teach people where they already know they won't be like uh, taking amounts of fillers or <laughs> or botulinum toxin injectables and order like monthly uh, tons. This is like a little bit of problem that was there because uh, you can order just like 10 or 20, you can't get just one to practice or to train it. Uh, and uh, this pharma company was like the first one who said, yes, why not? You're maybe uh, young doctors, but one time you will all grow up and uh, you, we want to, to help you to develop like the injector skills. So it was like the first uh, in-house training in a really big university hospital where we just do like reconstructive surgery, burn surgeries, uh, hands, uh, breast, and uh, all that. 
stuff. And my colleagues were all interested, even the older ones. So everyone came and everyone like was uh, interested in getting some skills or knowledge about uh, injectables. Uh, and uh, this was like my first hands-on to do it. Not just, I have uh, looked at several videos before like Tom Van Eyck, all the people, Maurice De Mayo, uh, doing it in my free time to just understand what's going on, how to use it, what to do it. But it's different when you like inject uh, yourself. Um, so after this training, um, the pharma company also said, okay, you can buy even one botulinum toxin or one filler if you want like to have uh, a training. And uh, of course, it was always also really uh, your friends ask you, oh, you're a plastic surgeon. Can you do this, this? And you have to say, oh, no, I, <laughs> I don't do that. Or I don't, I'm not able to do it because I don't know how to do it. So this was like um, with all my friends hanging out. Oh, can you do my lips because you're a plastic surgeon? And say, no, actually I can't because I don't know how to do it. And I don't know what to use it. So <laughs> this was like bothering me. I want it all. Yeah. So what do you do with yourself outside of work? I mean, part of getting to know you, your career, or how you got into where you are now, but what do you do outside of work? Your hobbies? What do you do in your spare time? What makes you who you are? And we want to get to know you a little bit better than just, just the medical side of things, which is also interesting. Hi, uh, I like socializing. I like to go like uh, to events, uh, hang around with people, uh, chat. I do sports. Uh, actually, uh, I try to do it on a regular basis. I like to play tennis and uh, golf. Golf, I'm really bad, but tennis was <laughs> like my uh, side business always uh, with growing up. And uh, so I just uh, like to do that. I like all water sports forms because uh, the summers uh, that I spent were always in Croatia at the oh, seaside beautiful. because my grandma lived there. And so um, when we finished school in Austria, we were like going for two months uh, just on the seaside. So I uh, like like everything on water sports, uh, windsurfing, uh, diving. Um, wow. That's uh, superwoman. You that's do it. You like, do it all. <laughs> Plastic surgery, windsurfing, uh, kite surfing, cosmetic injectables. <laughs> I like sailing the most, so oh, yeah? I uh, go sailing like every year in Croatia, and um, yeah, it's it was like almost I lost like my finger by sailing oh, uh, wow. on the right hand, but wow. all fixed by a plastic wow. surgeon. Jeez. Um, so. Yeah. Um, this is like, and my prior, I have a fiance, he's a plastic surgeon as well. So, um, there is a good understanding for all the things <laughs> yes. I, I want gonna, to do. <laughs> I was going to say the other, the other part of the new part of the podcast is we're also a dating service. Yes. So if you were single, <laughs> we could, we could easily hook you up. You know. Oh, that's great. So, uh, <laughs> good but to you know. Not. You, you never know what time will bring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to have to come to Sydney and do some sailing and Sydney Harbour. We've got a beautiful harbour um, that always Sydney has lots of sailing Melbourne. boats. We have a very famous uh, yacht race here once a year called the Sydney to Hobart that uh, launches from, you can see it from my house, it launches every year on Boxing Day and you get all these huge wow. yachts just 
bursting out of the harbour and going into the ocean and travelling down to, to Hobart every year. So I'm sure if you're into sailing, you'd love to uh, see that event. So if you come to Australia, try and time it around Christmas time <laughs> and you might be able to catch the Sydney oh. to Hobart race. You can come around here. You can bring Jake. We'll have a barbecue. <laughs> bring your fiancé. Uh, Will be Don't great. tell that twice. Uh, I will ring on your your good <laughs> sure. uh, when you see it from your window. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll be knocking your door yeah. on Christmas Day, yeah. and it won't be Father Christmas. Yeah. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> we'll bring a present. I promise. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about your your um your practice and how do you divide your time between you know operating, injecting, teaching, all the rest of it. And uh, now in, in, in the private uh, clinic, it's a little bit easier because you don't have like uh, the emergency stuff and like night shifts and uh, all this residency life or uh, the life of a consultant in a big university hospital clinic. What was I doing like uh, a long time? But now uh, you can schedule it. Um, the we have like here the possibility to schedule our uh, operative patients like for today uh, I'm having like uh, surgeries and uh, some other days like Tuesdays or Fridays are doing injectable days and I really like uh, the possibility to do both this is like uh, every day is a little bit different and if I would just do injectables sometimes I think it would be a little bit too much because after the fifth lip you're all or uh, <laughs> I need like uh, something different uh, but in this mix it's really really cool so I really like um, to operate and do like today the labiaplasty but also like to do some injectables and um, help the people to get a fresh natural look to get uh, a glowing uh, effect and um, um, I schedule it like we have a secretary and everything they know where to uh, schedule uh, what kind of patients uh, so uh, we do like uh, of course consultation for uh, operative patients but also for non non-surgicals yeah do you feel that your training as a plastic surgeon makes you approach injectables perhaps in a slightly different way or do you think it gives you an advantage as an injector I think it gives me advantage because uh, uh, during my study, I was an anatomy tutor, uh, tutor at the university and uh, I was like uh, really uh, every year doing uh, four weeks just uh, dissecting on uh, cadavers. Uh, so uh, that helped me a lot uh, or to get off the fear of what's down under and where are the locations. And with the surgical approach and also this way of uh, getting Getting to know the injectables from the complication side, it helps me um, that I know I can deal with complications and I can recognize them and uh, uh, have like a good educational background, uh, even if, of course, everyone is having complications or can have a complications to deal with it. I don't have to send it away like the patients that came to our office that we see from uh, non-surgical injectors or we have like a, um, yeah, illegal cosmeticians because in, um, here it's not regular that cosmeticians do injectables or nurses. So, um, but they still do it like in a <laughs> side business. Um, and when we have the complications, it's like, yeah, we are the address where to go if 
if they can handle it. And uh, of course, sometimes it's good to have like, yeah, groups like uh, Coma or your podcast or people knowing from uh, congresses to ask, uh, did you have uh, that and how did you manage it? Just to uh, make sure that you're doing everything right. But uh, I'm not like afraid if I see a complication because uh, of this long run uh, uh, that I had. Yeah, I'm curious to know uh, a bit more about that. So you said that cosmetic physicians, by and large, don't inject. It's just plastic surgeons and surgeons? No, no. Uh, every uh, doctor can inject. And we have like a so-called uh, heilpraktiker. These are people doing, I don't know what's the right English word. Actually, I have to Google it. Uh, <laughs> are they like a beautician? <laughs> so there's someone that's like a dermal, like a skin therapist or something like that? Is that what you mean? Yeah, something like that. Right. They are uh, allowed in Germany to inject, but uh, nurses and uh, like uh, cosmetic practitioners are not allowed to inject. What? You, I think you, so I think that it's the translation. So cosmetic practitioner, that, is that like a beauty therapist? Yeah, it's like uh, people doing your makeup or yes, hydrofacials. Right. Okay, and... yeah. So we would call that a beauty therapist or a skin therapist maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. non-medical. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, But doctors and obviously, you know, surgeons, you guys are injecting, but not nurses. Is that correct? Yes. Right, okay. I think uh, Hervé told, told us that that's, as well. That's interesting. So someone that has no medical training at all, even though, nursing isn't technically medicine and they still have medical training they're not allowed to inject but someone that has no medical training at all who's a beauty therapist can inject is that is that what you're saying no uh, actually no they're all not allowed to inject but oh. a lot of them do it but uh, this high practica it's not like a beauty therapist it's it's like um Guru medicine. I don't know how uh, if oh. you have that in Australia. It's these people who like do like some um, therapies that are uh, not school based medicine. I think they you're saying it's like alternative medicine. Yeah, but uh, not from doctors. Uh, they have. Uh, I'll just have a look how they called. God, this is quite scary. If yeah. <laughs> Someone doing Reiki and a bit of uh, filler? Yeah, but you're saying that they are not allowed to, but they do it anyway. Naturopaths. Oh, naturopaths. naturopaths. Right, okay. Wow. So they're yeah. allowed to inject? They're allowed to inject uh, just hyaluronic acid, not uh, toxins. Okay. Oh, my God, that's but crazy. But they're not allowed to use hyalase because hyalase is a prescription <laughs> yeah. medicine. So if you cause an occlusion, you can't do anything about it. You just got to... Yeah. So this is the UK model. Wow. You know, anyone can use HA because it's not a prescription drug. Yeah. Uh, but they don't have access to hyalase. And if they screw someone up, it turns up on Rosalia's yeah. door, basically. Wow. It's yeah. crazy. So, so, how, I mean, we've actually spoken to some doctors in the UK about this, and including Lee Walker. And actually, no one has any statistics on whether it's actually a genuine. Um, higher risk, you know, are, are, are these sort of beauticians and naturopaths genuinely causing more problems? We don't actually have any data. We, we assume they do, but, you know, no, no one can prove that they do. And, and maybe that's why it's still legal. I don't know. Yeah, actually, we uh, we collected like all the complications that we have seen at the university hospital in a row of uh, eight years. And uh, 
like all of them were caused by non-doctors. Uh, there was no dermatologist or plastic surgeon who caused like a really, uh, yeah, occlusion or a big thing. Of course, maybe they do it, but they can like handle it uh, mm. and see it uh, immediately. So, uh, and there was also an interesting thing that I um, heard in the last uh, conference that a company was selling uh, to this nature pass and other companies don't do it. So uh, the one filler from this company was like uh, set in the mind of people that it's causing a lot of complications, but actually it's not because of the product. It's like because of the users. Yeah. Right. That's good to know. Cause you know, the general public will just pick up the, you know, I don't know, they'll find some yeah. data somewhere and say, ah, oh, it was this filler. The filler is the problem. Yeah. Whereas actually that's ridiculous. Yeah. Scary. It's scary. Um, well, scary and interesting just learning about all the different parts of the world and, what we think is safe and sensible in one country might be completely different in another country. So that's, you know, the beauty of the podcast is having these discussions and finding out how people do things around the world. But in terms of training, like what's your opinion, I guess, in terms of how people are trained these days? I mean, you, you've been through the process yourself. You said people were asking you to do your lips and you had no idea and you had to go and study. So what do you think about the training regime that you have over in your country and if you've got any opinions on what you've seen around the world and what you think works well or who do you think has got the best training system, training approach? Actually, uh, for the system in our country, uh, I think it's not uh, good because if you're not into it and spending like really a lot of effort uh, even to get in touch with it, to do all the uh, stuff, to know where to go uh, and uh, to do it by yourself, there is no school or like an MBA for two years uh, to get like a good injector or esthetician. And there is no uh, regulatory uh, scale who tells you, are you good or are you not? So uh, no one uh, has like an insight in, in your daily, uh, daily business. So um, I think it should change. Uh, actually, it would be uh, good to have like a run-through program of uh, really steps and also with uh, uh, people who are already experienced and uh, who are good in that, what they do um, to uh, do like, uh, you have driving licenses, you're not allowed to do, you have to get like for everything you do uh, kind of qualifications, so, but for the injectables, uh, you can just do it and no one asks you. Poor patients, of course, they don't know it. So in a weekend course, you can't learn it. It's like accumulation of uh, years uh, of things to do, but uh, it could be like more compact in a shorter time to get to that step where I'm now. It took me like from 2050 was my first <laughs> injectable uh, till now uh, to to have like a secure and maybe a good running business and that people know you because you do something uh, good and they come over because they heard it from uh, others who have been to you but there is no like uh, certificate uh, like in surgery that uh, you have to uh, run through the operation catalog and uh, be trained and get all your exams and uh, yeah at least uh, show the results. Um, and it is a business 
where uh, even if you do like a failure or you're not good, the people tolerate a lot. Not yeah. all are uh, having like a really uh, high uh, expectations, let's tell it like that. So um, even if you're not good, your patients may are happy. So you think you're good. <laughs> I'm glad you have the same problem that we do. <laughs> it's uh, it's a worldwide problem, and and actually, when we spoke to Tom Van Eek about what happened in Holland, there's like you know they did set up a whole uh, sort of training thing, and he said it's ridiculous. He said it's stupid and unbelievably expensive. So I don't think anyone has an answer. It's um it's interesting. So what do you offer your training school? Because obviously you are, you are training, you know, new injectors now. So what, what level are the people that you train them and what are you training them specifically? Actually, the level I train is a basic filler and uh, botulinum toxin course uh, with steps uh, on approach, on regions. Uh, but uh, the first one is like to start. What is it? Uh, how it works? Where to use it? How to dilute it? Really, really basics. And the demand on uh, people who are just starting is much more higher than on people who are advanced because most of the advanced trainers say, oh, what can she tell me that <laughs> I don't already know? So, <laughs> so well, at some steps, like the advanced injectors, they just stop and think, okay, I know already everything. I don't have to go like to the Swiss Aesthetic Institute to get trained by uh, um, some of those people there uh, because uh, I'm already good. But the people starting, they they really need like, uh, and they are looking for, it. there is not a huge offer in high quality courses. Of course, there is like a weekend course where you just, uh, yeah, learn it and then you're free to do it. But if you ask the uh, people, are you ready to do it? Most of them are not. Uh, they just do it and hope it will work out well. Uh, so the um, steps that we are trying to offer is a really step-by-step school system to guide them level by level and then uh, doing afterwards like the master classes for Julie Horn lips or uh, people like uh, Tom Van Eyck or all this uh, bigger uh, facial approach but uh, I do like really the basic step-wise yeah. Who were your role models or mentors? The people that you look up to, or the people that inspired you when you when you when you first got when you first got started, um, and the, I guess the people that you sort of look up to now because you're very really highly credentialed yourself. So it's always interesting to hear what someone like you thinks in terms of who you look up to and, and who inspires you to to do what you do. Oh, there are a lot of people <laughs> that I really uh, like things they do. Uh, in the German-speaking part, as I was a student, it was like in the plastic surgery, Thomas Rappel, who uh, did like uh, the Mara Academy in Graz. Uh, then uh, people in Germany, dermatologists like uh, Sattlers, where I were there for the first courses. Um, then uh, in the international scene, uh, it were like, Tom Van Eyck, Lee Walker, Arthur Swift, Mauricio De Mayo, um, Ayat Harp, uh, at the last one uh, in Things of Noses. I really love to uh, see his approach to that. Uh, I advanced my lip uh, uh, 
technique since I know Julie and <laughs> since I were like looking at her passion to do that and uh, really adopted uh, a lot of from that Patrick Tracy Nyla uh, Raya I, they were like I was like looking to all of them and uh, um, one of my favorites uh, is Jason Emmert because oh, yeah. I like his uh, full um approach from the outer layer of the skin to the deeper parts um subio there were so many people i really like like to uh, to see how they do it what they do uh, how they treat the patients and also your podcast really there were so many like arbras padlo plastic surgeons and injectors uh, where i heard like some uh, stuff and then i looked it up uh, at that like the coma app or something like that this very information that i got like from your podcast so um, <laughs> i'm really open-minded i really uh, take my time also in my free time to research to google to uh, get like uh, from the basis of someone who was like the first and then to the modern uh, approach of uh, yeah this uh, celebrity injectors like because created of the <laughs> marketing around but uh, um, there are like I can't say this person was the one I uh, I just uh, puzzle it yeah from everyone yeah Take a, take a little bit from everybody and, and sort of design your yeah. own style and what works for yeah. you and your patients, yeah. Thanks for the kind yeah, words. That's the nice end. to hear that we influenced you somehow. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. It's it's like in an artistry, you can't like just uh, paint the Picasso because he's the Picasso. So you have to find your own style and this is also, you can just get it if you have a big information background and uh, have seen a lot to do it yourself. Well, Arthur Swift, if you're listening, um, Maurizio, if you're listening, <laughs> please come on the podcast. We can inspire more people. I think we've had everyone else on on that list. Just yeah, about. there was a, there's quite a few on that list, so we're, we're not doing badly. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about um, the, the clinic where you're working, Rosalia. So you're obviously you're working with plastic surgeons, but how big is it? And and you know what's there? What type of operations are you doing? Uh, what are the facilities like? I'm just curious to know. It looks beautiful from yeah. from your Instagram. And I just see a little. Well, you've got five staff in your room, so it must be a big place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a really nice concept. Uh, Philip Bertram, who was like. Uh, who isn't dermatologist? He started with this concept in a really small dermatological practice. Now we have like um, three different, uh, actually four now, uh, just opened one, uh, four different uh, places in Switzerland uh, where we uh, have dermatologists and plastic surgeons sitting. But uh, here, the skin med in Landsburg, it's 20 minutes from uh, Zurich, where I'm uh, now working. We are four plastic surgeons and uh, dermatologists. So uh, we have our own operating theaters, two of them. We are now uh, getting four more because we are really like wow. growing. We have about 80 persons working here. Um, so with all you've seen the social media team, this are and the photographer, these are like <laughs> three people uh, who are just doing that. And uh, the clinic is um, it should be a 
holistic approach. Uh, so uh, when you come in into the clinic, you have the feeling that you're in a boutique hotel. We have a driving service for our patients. So if they come to surgery, they will get picked up at home, abroad to the clinic. Then we uh, have like really nice designed rooms with a signature uh, room uh, smell uh, and um, perfume. And uh, we have now uh, hopefully opening uh, next year a fine dining restaurant wow. Wow. next to the clinic to get it for the patients but also for uh, the working uh, persons and for everyone um, with a healthy and body skin and soul we call it I'm moving to Zurich um, <laughs> See you, David. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. And uh, yeah, that's like we have four uh, beds uh, in a five-star uh, category range uh, for the patients who stay overnight for uh, plastic surgeries like nose or breast uh, um, reductions. And uh, yeah, it depends on most of them are ambulant care, but uh, some um, need to stay over a night. We plan them already like that. And we have dermatologists who uh, work in a conservative uh, dermatology and uh, some of them also in operative dermatology. Uh, but most of our dermatologists, except Felix, are not injecting. So the injectables are in the plastic surgery. Well, why is that? Why, why do you think that is? Um this this was like uh, it depends on the people uh, most of them don't don't like this injectable non-invasive uh, uh, thing it uh, and for the plastic surgeons um, we like it to have like a little bit different uh, schedules and I don't know maybe we just have like uh, dermatologists who are not into this dermato aesthetic field yeah we are getting new one who are uh, a little bit uh, willing to do that and want to learn but they are like starting so who's your average injectable patient coming to a place like that it sounds amazing i'm sure it's not cheap so where are these people coming from have, have, are they local do they fly in uh just tell us about your average patients my personal average uh, patient is uh, really international. I have like also Swiss, uh, Swiss ladies, but the, most of them are uh, young for getting like uh, lips or some uh, skin uh, glows or the older women who uh, are already taking care of their uh, skin and everything since years. So they're not, uh, most of them are not new starters. Uh, for the new starters, um, it is uh, we have a like a good high middle class in Switzerland. So uh, we are um, a high price segment clinic because yeah. uh, we take time. We don't do like a ten minutes uh, run through uh, injection. We really plan like for every patient at least half an hour uh, of consultation and treatment uh, for lips also like 45 minutes to an hour and for other facial uh, things. Right. Um, and my patients are really international because I speak like Croatian, Russian, Italian, uh, 
groups. Uh, so the, the ladies um, who come to my clinic, they are um, looking for not just, of course, natural beauty, but they want this a little bit glow that the Swiss doctors may are not creating. Uh, a lot of Persons who lived before, like uh, experts in London or somewhere else, they come over, even if you're 20 minutes from Zurich, and say, okay, I'm looking for someone who will like uh, make me a little bit of this um, Hollywood uh, glow or uh, the London glow, because all the other doctors where I went to, they just want to keep it like natural and not visible. Of course, natural is always good, but... Um, I'm also a fan of uh, not visible uh, injectables, but uh, enhanced. a good-looking uh, enhanced uh, glow and not visible that you did like this lips, but that you look fresh. Yeah. So um, a lot of um, injectors around are really even like the fast-growing cheap injection markets or... Um, or really like oh, just a little bit of it. And um, my patients that come to me, they're like, um, yeah, they like fashion. They uh, they like to go out. They like to glow. They like uh, nice hair. So this is my my personal uh, right. <laughs> patient range that I have. But in the clinic, we are four plastic surgeons, and everyone is different. So we cover like all uh, different uh, characteristics of patients. What would be the average cost for, say, let's start with something everyone can understand or relate to, say, like a set of lips. So what would you be charging roughly? We might need to do some conversions here, but I'm interested to know a clinic that sounds like it's extremely high-end um, where no expense is spared. What would people be looking at for a set of lips with you roughly? With me, it's 580 francs. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. getting this up. Julie, use use Julie francs. Julie is a little bit <laughs> yeah, for, more expensive. We're just doing some conversions. 580, here. Rosalia. Francs. Yes. So that what? is, yeah, $845. Yeah. So yeah. not cheap, but uh, not the most expensive. No. Like that's that's high end, but it's not. Some plastic surgeons here will definitely be charging more. Not all, but some. Yeah. Even so. even in Zurich, you uh, they charge more, like six hundred or seven hundred. But this is like a price we calculate that is like our lip price because we are um, yeah having Julie coming over, uh, having all uh, this about lips. Uh, yeah, know, so Julie's price. Really yeah. <laughs> well, Julie Julie can't inject where she's at in South Africa, so she has to do all of her work in Europe. So she must yes. come back and just go for it <laughs> with all the patients that have been yeah, waiting she, to see. Yes, she's, it's a big waiting list for her. Um, I'm sure. The patient are coming from all over uh, the world to see her to get uh, the lips done by her. Does she do your I lips? Does she do yours? <laughs> yes. Oh, she does? Does she give it you a mines. special price? Yes. <laughs> do you get a staff discount? We are friends. Ah. We are friends, so. <laughs> <laughs> very, very lucky. So tell us about the scope of um, injectables and, and I guess non-surgical things that you do. Obviously, you're doing botulinum toxins, you're doing HA fillers, but do you play with the biostimulatory fillers? Do you use any lifting threads or PDO threads? Anything else? 
Uh, I used biosimulations. Uh, I didn't use the one that was uh, launched this year in uh, in Switzerland. Um, you can use the name. Tell us, uh, what was the name? Uh, Sculptra. I just uh, went to a masterclass uh, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to use that, but I use a lot of radius. So okay, I right. do a lot of uh, radius injections yeah. uh, for uh, facial contouring, but also for body. Yeah. Okay, so are you using radius as a traditional filler without diluting it for the face, uh, for structural work, but do you also use it as a collagen stimulator? Yes, I use it for the face, like for jawline contouring or uh, some uh, cheeks uh, and diluted for neck, hands, mm-hmm. knees, butts. Yep. Okay. And, arms. And where, where do you sort of fit that into your repertoire? Like when you're looking at a patient and, you know, they might be asking you for fillers or they might be asking you for, as you said, the glow or a bit of an enhanced look or, you know, do cheeks or whatever. Where do you sort of see the biostimulators fitting into your your tools that you have at your disposal? So you, you've got quite a broad range of skills where you've got surgical and you've got non-surgical and then within sur- you know, the non-surgical you've got different range, different options with HAs and then you've also got the biostimulators. So where, where do you sort of fit these in and what sort of pr- patient or candidate are you looking at when you're recommending that sort of uh, type of treatment? Um. For for its uh, biosimulators, um, these are uh, most, uh, let's say, like above 45-year-old uh, women with a little laxity of the skin, but they ha- um, some of them already had like an overfilled face and uh, also this uh, water attraction by hyaluronic acid and they come and they are all plump and then um, we try to find a solution how to get like a glowing effect and also not like this laxity uh, of the skin but not being like uh, getting much uh, more uh, other hyaluronic acid fillers to overfill them and create like... um, the uh, monster faces we want don't want to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, for this uh, for this area, uh, I uh, use like the biostimulators, and uh, there are also um, yeah mummies um, who had like uh, yeah a little bit uh, maybe of uh, dermatohalysis after uh, birth or not training or whatever who are like fit and have like a skinny uh, type uh, of a person but uh, can't get rid of their cellulite spots or uh, need a little bit of plumping um, in some areas and yeah. it works really good. So you use, you use the biostimulators to treat cellulite, is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, and how, how, that's interesting. Yeah, like radius, hyperdilute yeah. radius, do you mean? Yes, hyperdiluted. Do you mind me asking your, your dilution and, and how you mix it up? Because everyone does it differently. Uh, yes, uh, I uh, do it like with uh, uh, three milliliters of uh, enocyl and then uh, 0.5 lidocaine uh, with the protocols that were in the consensus. Uh, we had also an in-house training with the UMA clinic for RDS. Uh, so um, I talked a lot also uh, with the injector to uh, get his experience because he's doing it like since 10 years. I'm doing it like since four <laughs> yeah. years. 
And what sort of results are you are you getting and how many treatments are you? Because it seems like cellulite's one of these things. I know it, it sort of plagues women more so than men, but men get it too. And it's 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 this uh, affliction that tends to bother so many people and it's hard to get rid of. So it's, and there's been so many treatments over the years, you know, devices that have promised to, to get yeah. rid of cellulite and none of them have really worked that I've seen in the last sort of 15 to 20 years. So how successful is it in terms of the results and how often, how many treatments are you doing and how often are you doing it? Cause I'm sure a lot of people's ears have pricked up when you mentioned treatment with cellulite because yeah. it's, it's the bane of a lot of people's existence. It depends always on the grade. Of course, it's really deep and you uh, need time and uh, treatments and money to do it. Uh, but uh, let's say in a skinny 45 year old who uh, do who does like regular sports and strains, but can't get rid of the dimples of the cellulite. So we uh, do um, three treatments uh, with hyperdiluted radius uh, and uh, maybe combine it uh, before with a Morpheus 8. Yep. Uh, yep, it's yeah. a good, good piece of technology. What about threads, either the lifting threads or the smaller PDO threads? Have you tried those? Uh, I have tried uh, threads, but uh, threads are not the first uh, thing I offer my patients, actually, because I always, uh, the patients I see for uh, threads are on a limit to, to get surgical uh, approach uh, to the things. So I explain them always uh, the skin won't be away. So if you pull the thread, you will get like a wrinkling over yeah. here. And uh, if you have too much uh, skin, it may <laughs> look okay, but it won't be like the perfect idea. I, um, I rather uh, take uh, injectables, biosimulators and devices than threads, actually. Yeah. Many injectors we've had on have had a similar story, but... I'm biased because I don't use them, but there are some injectors out there who who do hundreds. So threads, yeah, threads. Yeah, yeah I have a lot of patients who come and just want that. I do it. I uh, know how to do it, and I use like PDO threads and also uh, different others. And I go to workshops just to have like the portfolio uh, done. But it's not like the thing that I'm doing in a frequent way, and that I said this is my favorite approach uh, for a skin laxity or uh, for uh, getting like a good shiny skin so i rather take the other stuff yeah what, what results do you think you do see with pdo threads because here there's a massive craze at the moment they're everywhere um you know they're easy to do and and relatively affordable but i'm still not fully sure what they're delivering and i'm not even sure the injectors putting them in or the patient's do they just like the thought of something different yeah well i've had the treatment happy to talk about it after but here, here, happy to hear your perspective but you're mr collagen i am you're obsessed yeah. with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think that the threats uh, the effect of like uh undermining during the thread procedure and getting the swelling is the effect that people like but uh if you talk to the patient who had it don't they don't like the procedures mm. most of them if they had it once they won't do it a second <laughs> time yeah. Yeah. so uh this is uh, and it um doesn't 
last so long. It's not like, uh, and uh, as a surgeon, I don't like uh, uh, operating or uh, doing injectables in people who had threats uh, before because yeah. it's, it's really uh, full of scar tissue formations and uh, we don't know how they develop in a long-term run. Uh, if it uh, will be like uh, collagen uh, type 3 that is formed by the threats that goes in and also gets like this scar tissue dimpling into it. I don't know how it uh, will look like in a long-term run. So uh, you can't like um, control it. Yeah, this interesting. Is- yeah. I think a lot of people think that the threads are going to give you a facelift. Um, and I think yeah. that you have to have the right expectations. From, from my understanding, and I've had the treatments, is, as you said, it's about collagen stimulation. You might get some mild lifting, but it's not really the way it should be sold and it's really not the expectation that patients should be given in terms of, especially if we're talking about pedio threads. Um, but from what I understand, they're, they're useful sometimes for areas where you're not, you don't want to bulk with, say, like a sculpture or a radius where the skin might be yeah. quite thin. You don't want to sort of risk in, enlarging that area and they can be used um, quite effectively. But I think, as you said, it's about the right tool with the right patient, right expectations. It's not a cure-all for everything. And I think that's sort of what we're getting to in this industry now is we've got so many products and devices that they all can work if you use them the right way, but it's just understanding the right patient and using them appropriately. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. This is, you can tell this is just for you. You need to have like a high demand on portfolio to get like the best out of the patients and to underline their uh, natural beauty uh, with everything that is around. So um, it's a customized, tailored approach. So you need a lot of different uh, materials. Can I ask this sort of going off topic a bit? How do you advertise your services? So do you just have a consult and, you know, whatever is decided in the consult, do you then bring them back for for a second session for the treatment or how do you do it? Because I think a lot of clinics, at least in Australia, have suffered with sort of advertising cheek filler or lip filler. And, you know, that might be relevant to the patient. It might not be. And, and, and patients sort of come asking for things inappropriately a lot of the time. It's like they're picking, it's like they've got a whole lot of features on a board and they're just saying, I want those lips yeah. and those cheeks on my face. Yeah, it's a small goose board. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, how do you advertise your own services? Actually, we don't do a specific region advertising expect like for uh, lips, but uh, actually uh, the other things uh, are uh, uh, good consultation. So I listen to the patient what they want to achieve. And if they have like in their mind, they can just achieve it with that. So I have to convince them with uh, before and after pictures that we show in the consultations with uh, explanations, uh, video uh, explanations on how it works, what does it do and why she or he is not the right candidate for that. Mm. So most of the patients, if you explain them like in a, 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 let's call it (laughs) uh, (laughs) evidence-based way uh, with also uh, showing pictures and results. And also, I also show uh, bad results with devices that um, 
the patient want it and uh, maybe at some steps in career you do it because you don't know different and then uh, I show them uh, how it can end up so why he or she is not the right candidate for that so I really do uh, listen to the patient this is the most important thing what it bothers them what they want to improve because I don't like uh, the way when most of patients come in what would you suggest me yeah. so then my second question is, is always what bothers you because I see maybe the hump in the nose but if it's not bothering the patient I won't uh, tell him uh, you have to do your nose even if he came for lips uh, <laughs> of course uh, uh, if it's like uh, something that will uh, completely uh, destroy his uh, face and uh, look, then uh, I will tell, no, it's not a good idea and uh, get to points uh, how to improve it or what the way would be uh, I can get out uh, the best out of uh, the person uh, and not like making everyone uh, equal, just yeah. to underline their natural uh, beauty spots in the face. Yeah. You mean making everyone look the same? Is that, is that what you were saying? The sort of the look where people yeah. start looking like copies of each other. You, so, you, do you get that? Yes. Do you have that in, in your country as well, where you get this sort of generic look that people, they sort of all start to look like similar versions of the same person? Like blown up cats. Yes. Yeah. And yes. you don't know how old they are. They yeah. could be 30 or they could be 60. You don't know. They just get yes. this this generic yes. look about them. You don't even know whether they're yeah. human anymore sometimes. Yeah. They just yeah. sort of look like they've had a bit of a, an anaphylactic reaction yeah. and they've got yeah, slightly smaller eyes, cheeks yeah. overdone, lips, yeah. you know, way out of proportion with like this, you know, ridiculous jawline. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting. Look the same. Do you, do you get, do you have that as well? <laughs> yes, of course. Of course you have like recognizable uh, things and uh, they don't have to tell where they have been. You already know where <laughs> they were before. So. <laughs> To a naturopath that's doing their filler. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, yeah. you know, I don't know if anyone knows, my wife's a naturopath. Yes, and would you let her do your filler? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, baby, if you're listening, but no way. It's quite terrifying. You just have to train her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm actually doing her tomorrow. Oh, there you go. She's coming to me for the first time in a long time. Wow. Um, Rosalie, tell us about your, if, if you're happy to talk about your worst complication and what did you do about it? Like what, what, what was it and, and how did you fix it? Actually, uh, my worst complication uh, was uh, a demand swelling of the lips. It was, I've never seen that before. Right. Uh, the, it was not like a... I'm lucky I never had uh, a occlusion or a really, really uh, high-end complication. Uh, of course, uh, it, the day will come. <laughs> uh, but um, this was... I just put like 0.6 milliliters into the lip and uh, she called me like uh, three hours later with really, really like so huge lips and, uh, and said she's not getting like uh, enough of breeze and it's all she oh, wow. has the feeling that they will uh, perforate uh, in a minute. <laughs> so uh, it's... So uh, I asked her uh, to come back. So uh, we did, of course, um, corticosteroids uh, to get it 
cooling and also anti-inflammatory drugs and uh, cream uh, toppings on it. Uh, but I uh, said her, please send me like uh, in a one hour demand pictures, how it is <laughs> developing if we have to put like Hylis mm. <laughs> immediately wow. in or not. I love the way it they call you saying, I can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Like it was like, okay, call. what you can't breathe. You have to come immediately into the wow. <laughs> clinic to see you. Uh, and uh, it took like three days to get back to the normal and at the end the lip form was also okay but at that time it was I was like really at the beginning of uh, of injectables uh, you're not really comfortable uh, with the situation and you uh, don't know what to do should I dissolve it immediately most of the persons when you talk like to experience injector no no don't do it just cool it uh, get the uh, steroids and anti-inflammatory drugs and uh, maybe some antibiotics mm. uh, after three days if it's not going down uh, but this was uh, like my worst I, I don't know if complication, it, a reaction <laughs> to, yeah. to my treatment. And um, I was like really uh, texting uh, also in the night. How are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, we all do that, I'm sure. Yeah. So was it an allergic reaction? It wasn't, an, it wasn't an occlusion. It was. It sounds like a type one hypersensitivity reaction. No, it wasn't occlusion. It was like I did uh, also like uh, double sonography and looked at the perforation of the lips. It was everything uh, was... Uh, like all time uh, good perforated and there was nothing uh, and it was top acute, and bottom the, the whole lip top and bottom top and bottom yes and you only injected points all around just half really a mil getting like dead. so yeah. it's half a mil and that I wonder yeah. whether it was the local anesthetic in the filler rather than the filler that could be yeah wow I mean it's just Jeez. very unusual yeah but well, well done you saved the day she's fine now I'm guessing Oh, she's fine. She came uh, afterwards also for <laughs> some, some lip injections, but we changed the product. I used one without lidocaine because yeah. I was not sure if it was like uh, due to that. Um, so she didn't have it the second time, but um, I don't know. And she didn't have like, uh, it wasn't like about the COVID thing at that time. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and how did that affect you like on a personal level? I mean, we're talking about how you technically dealt with it, which sounds like you did all the right things, you held the patient's hand, but what was going through your mind? Because I'm sure a lot of injectors listening to this can probably empathize with, with your situation. They might not have had that exact complication, but they, everyone remembers their first or something that's been traumatic. So how did you deal with that and what were you sort of feeling at the time and how did it change your practice or your, or your perspective or, or the way you go about things post dealing with this complication? At that time, I was uh, like at the university hospital and uh, even like uh, this injecting thing was, as you already said in the beginning, uh, oh, why are you doing injectables? You're a plastic surgeon. We don't do that. Uh, so it was like in my stomach, oh my God, if uh, she has to go to my boss and he has to cut it out or whatever. <laughs> it was like, oh no, uh, <laughs> really a pain in my stomach of getting and also for the patient because she came to me because she heard from another friend who was like injected uh, by me that it's really nice and good and then she had like that and you were oh my god uh, never had 
before, but uh, um, the most important thing that I learned in this is to uh, keep the patient on your hand. Uh, don't let them like go. Uh, give them the feeling you're there, you're taking care, whatever happens, we, we will manage it. And if I don't know how to do it, I will ask someone else who's maybe more experienced. And I also tell the patient, okay, sorry, um, I have to. I will ask a colleague who's more experienced than that, who uh, already maybe had uh, um, similar situations or things, and call you back uh, if he has any other suggestions. Actually, he didn't. He said, "Okay, I would do it like the same way, like you did." But uh, the most uh, and one thing I learned um, about it is just to drop a message to all my patients uh, where I had like this little bad feeling or where uh, something is, um, you have like this gut feeling that might not be uh, good. But uh, even if I do it like uh, here in the injectables, uh, I just drop a message to the patient, everything fine, you were yesterday at the lip injection, I didn't hear and most of them, oh, thanks for asking, that's so nice from you, but all good. So <laughs> this is what I changed from that on is really like just to ask the patient. It's of, of course you need time to do it because there are a lot of patients. Most of them will come back if uh, anything is not right. And we handle out um, a guide for how to behave after injections. So they have like all the steps. If you have this, what to do. And of course the number that they can call uh, anytime. But uh, this was like um, the thing I adopted for myself to give them like something they have in their hand yeah what was sorry no, what, 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 what was going through your mind the next time you did lip filler on a new patient after that so your next lip patient following this one it it was it is something that might throw you a little bit back. You were yeah. like really secure about the things you're doing, and then you uh, get like uh, such kind of reactions, and then you're uh, a little bit uh, nervous of how would it be the next time. But uh, it would be the wrong uh, um, step to say, okay, I'm not doing it anymore just because of uh, this uh, reactions, even if it would be a gravier complication that can happen to everyone, you have still to keep on going uh, because uh, there is no surgery without complications, then you're not operating enough. And it's also with the injectables, uh, you will get complications you will uh, have to deal with like some uh, points but as a young uh, surgeon or injector it's it's like really uh, bothering you because you want to make everything perfect and to get the best result and best outcome and to have the patient the feeling that she's in a good hand and then um, yeah it you go with a little bit respect to the next patient <laughs> No, I have to say that's really good advice and, you know, I, I speak to a lot of injectors obviously and you see this a lot, if they have a complication or they use a product and something happens, they they suddenly decide, I'm not doing that ever again, I'm going to not use that filler and I'm not going to do tear troughs or I'm not going to do, you know, whatever the thing was and you're like, well, you know complications happen and and risks you know you're reading them a consent form saying these these things can happen so yeah i think you need to get back on the horse and um you know obviously learn from your mistake don't just make the same mistake again um yeah. but uh, exactly what you said speak to colleagues think about what happened maybe you know like you said just logically don't use the local anesthetic 
and see what happens, um, but learn from it. So I thought that was great advice. Um, you mentioned ultrasound, um, and obviously maybe that also fits in with your plastics practice. I don't know uh, if you use it in plastics in, in any way, but tell us about your experience of using it with injectables because, you know, we, we've discussed it on the podcast. I, I haven't had a chance to do it yet. Well, I was supposed to do a course, I think it was last summer, and, and then the, the pandemic hit or we're in the middle of the pandemic, so the guys didn't come from Amsterdam, um, Leonie Schenk and her team. So, yeah, tell us how you use it and, and how you think it's applicable. Actually, we don't. Uh, I don't use it in every patient, uh, to be honest, because it's like really time-consuming to do it. Uh, but uh, I use it in patients who come uh, with fillers uh, in advance from somewhere else uh, to see uh, where is it, how many uh, milliliters are left inside somewhere, is it migrated or not? Uh, and um, I uh, didn't do like. Uh, we don't have a face device. Uh, I do it with the um, regular thin uh, ultrasound uh, head that we use for reconstructive breast surgery, for mm-hmm. example, to see where the vessels are. Um, I, I had like a good anatomy training, so I know where to put the head on uh, and to see uh, where it should be. So I do it in that way, but I would love to advance uh, like my knowledge in facial ultrasound for injections. I, I'm not trained in that, so I just do it uh, to see uh like in this patient with the complication, I know where to put the ultrasound and the Doppler on to see if the vessel is perfor- uh, perfused or not, or if it's uh, like a complication. I can see that because uh, I did a lot of um, stripping on the veins. So we have to do a lot of <laughs> ultrasound uh, <laughs> before uh, getting the surgery for the patient. Uh, so I know how a occluded vessel should look like and how uh, not, but uh, I didn't have like training in uh, facial ultrasound. I think it's a really important and upcoming topic in selected patients. I think it won't be possible in our daily routine to do it in every patient who is getting injectables. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It would be nice to do like some some simple yeah. areas like the temple, you know, yeah. put your probe on. Yeah, just Is the vessel there? No? Okay, awesome. Then you can inject. But yeah. f- for more complicated things, I think that should be left to the specialists like Mobin um, and, and people <laughs> yeah. who are doing it every day. Radiologists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you deal with bad aesthetic outcomes? And I guess there's two lots of, well, I'm going to categorize them as two aesthetic, bad aesthetic outcomes. There's bad aesthetic outcomes that the patients think are bad, that you might think are good, could, could be a picky patient. You could have a patient that you think it's terrible, but they think it's fantastic. <laughs> um, how do you deal How do you deal with those? And I guess there's a third one as well where you, you sort of both agree in, in sort of either scenario. But those ones I find quite interesting because I see sometimes injectors will say, oh, I think that's shit, but the patient thinks it's good. I'm not going to say anything. How, how do you approach, approach that and, and, and the opposite way? Uh, yeah, it's it's <laughs> like in, in injectables as in surgery. Some, I'm a perfectionist. Uh, I really like like aesthetic things. And uh, of course, everyone is having his own beauty vision, but uh, we have a general one. So uh, if you ask 10 people, uh, if nine say it's beautiful, then this is like a general uh, <laughs> beauty ratio. Uh, so 
I, uh, of course, uh, all of us uh, have like this, oh my God, I don't like it how I did it. And uh, may I should like uh, correct it or do it a little better way. But uh, okay, let's let it heal or let's uh, let it settle down and get the swelling away. And then you ask the patient or uh, they come back and say, oh, I'm so happy. And and you're, (laughs) oh my God, I was like... (laughs) I would never be happy like with this result, uh, but I don't tell them immediately because I don't want like, uh, it was maybe better than it was before, but it was not in my opinion, perfect. I'm like really detailed and I really want it uh, for me as well to uh, see it as a perfect, but um, the expectations of the patients are in 90% lower than my own. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but you have, of course, this 10% of patients uh, that they are really picky and they are want some stuff that it's not possible. Most of the patients who are not satisfied uh, actually are really, really looking into all the details and want something that is even uh, not possible. Uh, maybe just with this one syringe, they're ready. They're, uh, ready to pay. This is also, I think, uh, you have to tell the patient, okay, with this kind of material, we can go that wide. We can't like uh, change uh, uh, your whole face with just putting one uh, <laughs> one syringe uh, into your face. So, uh, but uh, what I do is um, if the patient comes back and is not happy, I always uh, try to correct it and not, they don't have to pay for it because to give them the feeling they are like, it's, I'm taking it serious what they are talking about. Even if I maybe don't see it like that, but if it is bothering him or her, I uh, try to get it like in a way they, they want to have it. If it's a normal thing, not something, uh, if they want a third nose, I won't <laughs> do that, but, uh, I want them to go out happy. So, um, Absolutely. In, in uh, your consultation, for that 10% of people who are, you know, maybe picky or maybe even have body dysmorphia, who knows, do, do you have a, a systematic way of, of trying to sort of, you know, identify them? Or do you just sort of try and work out from, from the things that they're asking you whether, you know, maybe their expectations are too high? Or do you have like a psychological screening test, for example? Actually, I do. I uh, let them always talk from the uh, head uh, to down what what they think they might need or what they uh, would like uh, to be changed. And if uh, like a really beautiful lady is uh, complaining on stuff that it's obviously not not visible and uh, you can't see it, uh, I often also say, uh, no, I wouldn't do that. And I'm sure you will find someone else who will do that injections or change for you. But I don't uh, see it like that way. And I don't think that we will improve uh, with this, uh, what you're asking for. So I, uh, and I really listened to my gut. I had like all these years around, you have like, if you see the patient and the behavior and I don't know, can you, can we do this, 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 this? And I know, okay, there's something uh, other, there are some other things that are bothering this person and it's not like uh, you won't solve it with uh, this small injection. 
Yeah. So um, good advice. Yeah, I I also send people away. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, how do you? I know you said you, you guys don't do a lot of advertising. You've got a very high end clinic, and I'm assuming a lot of it is word of mouth. But everyone has to have a website. You've got a an Instagram page. You've got you know, 10,500 followers. Obviously, people watch you. They like what you do. They're inspired by your work. How do you attract people um, to you, to your business? And, and how do you sort of approach that? Because I think that um, social media is like this new frontier for many of us in terms of how to navigate it. What do we put up? Do we be funny? Do we be honest? Is too honest not good? You know, how much do you share? So I'm interested to get some insights into how you, A, attract your clients and B, how do you sort of present yourself on social media to the, to the world? Yeah, actually in the social media, we have like the clinic account and I have my personal account. Uh, so uh, in uh, in here, we're actually not allowed to show a lot of before and after uh pictures or um, to do it in the uh, in the clinical website so the clinical thing is for all uh, of us uh, the plastic surgeons the dermatologists and and my personal uh, uh, website I my personal Instagram account I do it myself uh, I didn't outsource it I was thinking about it and it's a really really uh, uh, time-consuming part <laughs> yeah. uh, next to to all the stuff uh, that we're doing. Uh, so I didn't uh, didn't plan it. Uh, I, I don't plan any any inside. I just do it uh, like I feel how, how I should do it uh, because uh, we see like all this perfectly uh, set up marketing, and then you have to text and then the picture and then thing. And I was asking um, my uh, followers that I know like. Uh, personally and i have a lot of uh, contact with some of them and friends uh, what do you think should i like outsource my instagram put it to a web designer make like uh, all this nice stuff and uh, 99% said no leave it authentically to do it the way you are doing it now and this was like also um, a good concept uh, of course it's really time consuming for me uh, but most people reach out by um, seeing a perfect result at the person they know that has been in my clinic or uh, at my personal appointment. So today, uh, after the uh, labioplasty, I had like uh, two patients and uh, both of them came uh, because I had like uh, my private uh, customer advisor at Louis Vuitton who got lips like by <laughs> myself so they were like shopping there with her and they asked her like where did you do her lips and uh, she said they yeah, was uh, at Rosalia and uh, so they uh, made an appointment up <laughs> by me so um, this is this is uh, I don't get uh, like all the patients from uh, Instagram or by advertising there, of course, the people are asking for much more pictures and everything. But uh, I tell them you will see the pictures in the consultations. I have like a huge amount of pictures for surgeries as uh, for lips, but I don't have the time. I can't sort you every day a picture <laughs> picture for before and after uh, because, uh, yeah, the day is 24 hours and uh, it's not my primary goal. It's a really important tool and it's a really important what message are you sending out. Uh, I'm uh, always like uh, really surprised how, who's watching, hmm. who's seeing and what you, 
action and reaction you are creating with that. So uh, I think we have a huge responsibility in that what we do on social media as doctors. And uh, so I'm really trying to be serious, but also entertaining in a way. And it's really difficult. So um, at the end, uh, the patient will come if they see the results uh, and the mouse-by-mouse propaganda, as we call it yes. in, uh, in Europe, is the best way of marketing. Instagram is a nice touch-up just to see who is this person who is doing that, but it's not the main source of uh, presenting your work. Yeah, that's interesting. So did you say it, it's a Swiss law that you can't use before and afters or... Uh, it's European? in Germany and Switzerland, yes. Uh, injectables you're allowed to do, but uh, operations uh, you're not. Interesting. Huh. Is that just because of the nudity aspect or why is that? Uh, it, it's an old law where you are uh, um, surgeries that are on a... Um, Aesthetic field are not allowed to be shown just to protect maybe the house. If you're a reconstructive surgeon, you can do it. So everything that is like medically necessary, you can show, but all everything that it's not medically necessary, you're not allowed. Right. So we're not going to see you do any TikTok dancing anytime soon <laughs> on your Instagram. Uh, no. 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 Come on. No. No. <laughs> I think what we should do once we've done about twenty injector diaries, we'll we'll do a coordinated TikTok. No, we should. We'll do an in, we inside do aesthetics that. dance. <laughs> Yeah, we can do an aesthetic dance. I can do that. It's yeah. uh, all good. But uh, you won't see me like holding a nipple and making fun out of it because it's uh, still <laughs> it's still like the patient are giving me their trust. They're, yeah. uh, uh, every time when I do surgery or also injectable, I think, oh, that's they're blindly trusting you and you have uh -huh. like to have a certain respect of that and not make fun of if they do it yourself they should yeah. uh, it's okay but this uh, has become a very topical thing just this week in australia with um surgeons uh and and patients and consent and using their videos yeah. and things so it, it is yeah. a, a valid point and and i think you're right that social media it's hard to get that balance between professional and fun and you know sometimes being deliberately controversial to stimulate debate and stuff so it, it's hard it, it's, yeah. it's really, really hard. But, um, yeah, it is. In some ways, even though I use before and afters, I put up one today, I would quite like just a, a blanket um, either yes or no because there's so much... Um, grey area. It's grey, but also people get away with so much rubbish. Oh, yeah. And they, and they con mm. patients or, or they deliberately manipulate things. And I'd rather not do them, but, but also have a level, play, a level playing field where no one else also did them. Yeah. So then you're literally basing it on your consultation and, and everything else. But yeah. um, I don't think that's ever going to happen. The horse is bolted. Yeah, it's too hard to unscramble the of egg. Of course, you have to do it because everyone is doing, and the patients are asking for it. And uh, but uh, it's 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 a hard because uh, the pictures we know there are a lot of like stolen pictures, mm. pictures from others pretending yeah. that they're uh, your uh, your own. Uh, so. The patients don't know. They just go by the pictures, of course. Uh, but uh, actually, um, consultation in Switzerland is for free. So uh, 
I tell them always, okay, if you want to see some pictures, you can book an appointment. I will show you tons of pictures we are allowed to show in our consultation office. But um, we, uh, if you, they ask like for uh, one topic that I find interesting, everyone is asking for pictures. But when do uh, when you ask them to sign, <laughs> if they want to have it on social media, no not, way. 99% no way. <laughs> yeah, so how true, can I it? show you like yeah. before or after pictures if you're not allowing to show yours? So, uh, and 99% uh, others aren't also. So. <laughs> yeah, look, we have the same problem. And yeah. I, I talk to patients about that sometimes. You know, I'm like, well... I, you know, and you don't want to f- make them feel like you're pressuring them either. But it's just—it's so obvious. You came because you saw the under eyes that I did. You even mentioned yeah. it when you came. You said, yeah. "Oh wow!" And you got out your phone and you showed me. <laughs> but you're, yeah, it's difficult. I don't know. People have got rules yeah. for themselves and rules for everybody. <laughs> but you understand <laughs> yeah. it, right? You know, yeah. you wouldn't probably want yourself plastered well, across. But like, if it's not identifiable, then if no one can how tell, how can it be? It's your face. I don't know. You can like color out their eyes or you can put a <laughs> see my issue with that is that you know aesthetics isn't just it's cheeks true. or yep. lips that's it's a good the point. whole package yeah. so i don't like i'd rather just not use the image than sort of have like a stupid strip over the eyes it's silly yeah well but um i don't know and it dumbs down what we do just to show a jawline or a pair of lips yeah it'd be like i don't know renovating a house and then just taking a photo of the door yeah i want to see the whole house why yeah. why just <laughs> yeah. see the door? this is the point yeah. because the step to get to this result is not just by one session Correct. most times. So, um, yeah. And also you can have a, an amazing set of lips that you've done, but it might look terrible on the person's face. It might be completely <laughs> yeah. out of proportion, yeah. might not That's shoot their, their nationality or their, their facial yeah. structure. So you have to sort yeah. of see it in context with the rest of, with the, rest of the yeah. person, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I'm mindful that you've probably got more operations. We're going to wrap this up, but just a few more questions, if that's okay. Where yeah, do you see the industry going in the next five or ten years? And Shada said the injectable industry. What's coming? Have you heard any cool stuff in Europe? Uh, actually, uh, I... I think it will uh, go to pass. You will have like this high demand clinics with really good uh, in uh, injectables and injectors, uh, also high priced, of course, because you have to do a lot of training to come to that point. And uh, still this, uh, yeah, go through uh, for uh, 10 minutes uh, clinics. I don't think that they will uh, go away. It's mm-hmm. like a pandemic um, <laughs> a little bit. They're rising uh, here in Switzerland like a little uh, marshmallows, uh, <laughs> mushrooms. Marshmallows, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, but uh, I think the awareness of the patients, uh, we have to do a lot of more um, education, patients' education. How, what is the difference between this and this? What is the difference between uh, this product, uh, this clinic, this injector? Uh, to make them aware that's your face. It's not like, uh, I don't know, a pair of shoes you can throw away. Uh, it has a long-lasting consequences, uh, what you do now, and mm-hmm. we don't know how it will develop. So uh, I think that uh, we are forced, and the industry is also force to do much more education, uh, patient education and uh, a structured structured training program, uh, maybe globally, uh, yeah. how to become like a top. That would be good. Uh, one. That would be good if we could get every country 
maybe yeah we'll, it, we'll link it, them up yeah once we get to episode 200 we'll have a think <laughs> let's see if we can yeah. get a worldwide consensus <laughs> yeah so we've got a, yeah. a, a list of uh four questions here that we ask every um injector so you don't have to think about it too much it's just whatever comes to your mind <laughs> sort of like a quick fire so what is your number one toxin that you like to use and why uh, I can say the brand yeah, name. Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> it depends on the region. Actually, I like for the forehead, uh, for example, Bocouture, because it's a really soft product. You can create real natural results. So and, that's Xiamen. Uh, ah, yes, Xiamen, yep. Yeah. Uh, this is like my favorite forehead product. But for other indications, uh, I, uh, I use like uh, other toxins. Yeah, this is my favorite. Xiamen is your favorite? For okay. myself, I use that. Yeah. Okay. I know this is supposed to be quick fire, but I, I want to ask about that. So what do you mean it's the favorite for the forehead? Like what are you seeing with Bocator or Xiamen versus, you know, Dispo or Botox? Even with the same dilution, uh, I see it uh, on Bocouture that you have like a softer, you still can like move, have a little bit of mimic. If you inject it the same way, all three of them, I get like the more soft and natural results with, uh, with Bocouture. Okay. okay, very good. Um, same question again, but for filler. Uh, filler, oh, that's... Uh, yeah, that's that's difficult to yeah. say. What you have your to choose one product. filler, and it doesn't matter where you use it in the face. We just want to know if you only which had to, one. If you had to, if you're stuck on a desert island with a thousand patients and one filler to use, which one? Which one would it be? <laughs> uh, Bellotero Balance, uh, because this was my first filler I started with. Uh, now I'm using uh, different fillers from all around, but this was one that was uh, tolerating a lot of failures, uh, tolerating also unexperienced injections and uh, super soft and remodelable. So I, I like that one. Like for starters, I would recommend like this or like the Kiss, uh, okay. some filler that is really uh, depending on the area, of course, but um, that tolerates a little bit of unexperienced injection. Mm. So that's too much. go like with a lift because you have to be really uh, or Voluma to to address it and to know how to inject it. Uh, but with this fillers. Um, you're a little bit safe. Okay. So that was two Mertz products. So Mertz is a German company. It is, is that the influence <laughs> that has sort of allowed you to use those products? Um, or, or did you just choose them yourself? No, I just choose them myself. Actually, we uh, use Galderma in the clinic mm -hmm. uh, right now and Teoxan for the uh, under eye area and Radies, but we don't use Mertz fillers here. Uh, I started with Mertz. Uh, they were like uh, the first company who helped out uh, young uh, doctors to get <laughs> uh, to the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, this is like just uh, I like the lift from Galderma as well. I like the Voluma, uh, also Ultra Three. That was like uh, one of the first fillers I used for lips. Uh, yeah. uh, I liked it as well. But uh, if I have like to decide which product you want uh, uh, to keep, and you just have one, then uh, this would be the one because it's really yeah. universal. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Ultra 3, I think, is Ultra Plus, and okay. Ultra 2 is Ultra. Okay. Yeah. We don't have numbers here in Australia. Yeah. Um, last or second to last question, what's your favorite cannula make and size or length? Uh, 25 Gauche, mm -hmm. uh, 0 0.7. 
And it's which like, which brand do you like using? Oh, it's TSK. Yeah, TSK. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. good. It's a world favorite, yeah. I think. I yeah. like this kennel and I like the 32 gauche uh, baby Botox needles. Okay. And this last question is dedicated to Lee Walker. So if you're listening, <laughs> Lee, this question's for you, mate. <laughs> to aspirate or not to aspirate? That is the question. <laughs> uh, aspirate on the nose. I always aspirate uh, on the lips. I don't do it. Uh, um, temples I do with the cannulas or uh, most time, uh, but in the high danger zones, aspirate. Um, so that's yes, a yes. Yes. Not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It has to be yes or no. We let you get away with that. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yes. Do it. Not with the cannula, but if yeah, you're course. injecting with the needle, yes. Perfect. Hey, if you come to Sydney, give Jake and I a call. Let us know you're coming. We'll show you around. We'll show you the Sydney to Hobart yacht race and um, we'll grab a few Heinekens. <laughs> I will, for sure, really. Uh, actually, you don't drink Heineken? I have, what do you family. Do? Oh, you have, I have family in Australia. We have like the Lucatina Park in Perth. Oh, oh in Perth. Okay, well, we're on the other side of the country. <laughs> yeah. It's only four and a half hours yeah, flight. in away. Melbourne, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Sydney's where it's come at. For sure, uh, Sydney's the I best love, place. I've been to Australia and I love it. I really. Uh, oh yeah, have you been to Sydney? Yes. Oh, you have. Yes, okay. to Melbourne, to Sydney. And, oh great. Uh, but I was looking forward to do this fellowship, but uh, it wasn't. Well, you have to have the IA, the in, inside aesthetics experience when you come here. Maybe we'll do a podcast in person. I I'm so uh, happy that you invited me because. Uh, Actually, I'm not like the star uh, injector like the others who were around, like uh, Lee Walker or Julie. It's, uh, but um, thank you for having me and um, that I could share like my experience injection. And it was really nice uh, seeing you uh, both <laughs> together. And I really enjoyed the podcast and I highly recommend it. In my Botox courses, I also yes. always showed the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, thank you for that. We that, that In fact, that's how I introduced you to David because I saw your post and, and the post wasn't even about that, but I saw the IA symbol in the background and I said to David, hey, we're famous in Switzerland. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, thank you so much for, for promoting us and um, take care of yourself and we shall speak soon. Thank you. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.